Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm James. And this is Outsourced. Each week, we'll be discussing different topics around freelancing and being self-employed. Thanks for listening to Outsourced. Enjoy. Hi, and welcome to the first ever episode of Outsourced. Hi. Exciting. Very exciting. Um... I guess I, th- I sort of, I'm more of a planner, so I have written everything down that I think that we should cover, whereas James is sort of coming at it from more of a relaxed approach. Yeah, I'll either, I'll either start bumb- bubbling on and, and make absolutely no sense, or I'll come up with a little pocket of genius that that you could never script. So um, Let's hope it's the latter. Yeah, that's my approach to this, this podcast. Um but I'm, uh, I'm grateful that you will be directing and leading with a bit of structure. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's week one all about? I thought we would start by talking about the freelance rate plateau. Okay. Basically, I thought that a lot of people come this time of year are going to be thinking about maybe charging more come the new year. I know it's a conversation that we speak a lot about when you're a freelancer for a long time or when you've been working with a client for a really long time. This kind of awkward time where you feel like you should be charging more, but you don't want to say or you don't know how to say or how to approach the conversation. I think that's a good point, actually, just to give a little bit of background about ourselves as well, um, what we've done and where we are in our freelance journey or career um because then that might give people an idea that don't know us an idea of of where we are on that spectrum of working with clients and how much we can or do charge um so i have i haven't been employed by someone for about 9 years and that employment lasted about 18 months um when i was straight out of university I I learnt my trade uh, print company in Canary Wharf, which I'll forever be grateful for and appreciative of. But since then, I am never, um, never plan on going back to employment. So my journey started off by being a freelance graphic designer. Um, and that quickly led me to starting an agency, which was a lot of fun. Um, sort of a crazy four years and that was just born out of a necessity to scale very quickly Um, and I met a a great business partner in Steve and we we did some amazing things and achieved a lot of good stuff in those years but then I decided that I wanted to take that step back out of employment even though it wasn't employment in the traditional sense and become a freelance self-employed um on my own again so that's what i've been up to for the last two years um and so that's where i'm at still doing graphic design and sort of anything creative that i've picked up along the way whether that's photography videography ux ui design etc etc i guess i'm slightly different i i did come i I worked for six months out of university and then i went straight into self-employment and then i've been in and out of self-employment really for the past nine years. We're both the same age, so we've been in, in some form of employment for the same time. I think I am much better in an environment where I can manage my own time and I don't have to have people managing me. So I've been now fully self-employed for two years, but I've always kind of had, I hate the term, but like a side hustle. I've always had something going on. And I do, I'm mainly a journalist, but I also do some copywriting on the side as well, which most journalists, I'm sure, who are self-employed would agree that they do They do similar. So that's me, I guess. That gives us, that gives you a pretty good idea of us. Yeah, and we've always worked very closely, haven't we? Because yeah. um, although we do do very different things in the creative world, they... They do have some merits to cross over and some merits to um, work alongside each other. And certainly in the, the agency days that we worked closely yeah, for a lot, a lot. 
for nearly five years with with pretty much the same clients because um, I guess from what we do if if someone needs a, a brochure or a website or um, a, some sort of campaign run then naturally one element of that is the copywriting and then the other element is the the design and the production of it so we have worked closely um, and then obviously since sort of being 100% freelance over the last two years together we've worked from home every day we've we've sat four or five feet away from each other for the last five uh, last three years so um we're quite familiar with working together yeah. and we uh we know the trials and tribulations of 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 seeing each other every morning then working in with each other every day and then finishing work and spending all evening together so hopefully over the next few weeks we'll be able to um divulge some of our experiences or even secrets on how it how it's worked should we um I think we should just let everyone know as well. If you hear any groans or scratching or anything in the background, it's not us or yawns. We um we're fortunate to have a lovely Labrador sitting next to us that rarely leaves our side. So she's kind of the third the third wheel in uh in our, our work relationship. Um but yeah, so if, if you do hear any yawns or groans like that one, it, it it's not Caroline getting bored. So shall we get back on track a little bit now? We've had a little. You. I did warn you that this is uh, this would be my this is approach. How you roll. Yeah. Yeah, not. So yeah, you have to keep reining me in. Okay. Um. This consider this <clears throat> you being reined in. Mm-hmm. We, we we were discussing the freelance rate plateau and how when you've been working for a certain amount of time, for one client you might get into a bit of a situation where you really want to charge more but you don't know how to approach it you don't want to upset anyone or burn any bridges but at the same time you really feel like you're worth more at this point and this is a conversation that i've had with so many freelancers i don't know about you yeah i think i think it you just touched on it but it all it stems from working out your self-worth and that is probably one of the hardest things to do, especially when you start out as a freelancer or contractor, because if you are coming from um, a traditional employment, then your 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 self worth in terms of um, compensation and benefits is very defined, and it's it's very black and white, and it's generally it's done you see a, an upwards progression as as your your experience and age goes up as well um and that's normally defined for you certainly in like the the, the public sector that you go through tiers that you have to meet certain criteria to get to the next pay grade or the next pay tier so it's that's always sort of been worked out for you but then as soon as you step into that freelance world all of a sudden you've got to work out what you're worth and what you think your perceived worth is to a client um, which is very very difficult certainly if you are coming out of a a well-paid job and I would also add to that that when you start out in freelancing you really just want work Mm. so you start off by probably undervaluing yourself absolutely and then you get into a situation where finally think the ball starts to roll you're getting more work you're busier and then you start to have this bit of a resentment for this client who gave you a chance when you first started out as a freelancer but perhaps isn't giving you the amount of money that you now deserve or your experience now dictates I think that is a really tough thing because when I started freelancing I was just like whatever comes my way even if it's not specifically in the area that I really want to focus on I really just need to take it because I need money Mm. Um, and then a few years down the line and now when I'm in uh, thankfully a lot better position I well I don't have those clients anymore but you you kind you kind of start to resent it and and I think that's what that's what I read an article on Forbes and that's how um this topic of conversation has come around so they put together five ways to charge more and I thought maybe we could go through those ways and see in personal experience whether we think that they're any good or not 
yeah yeah like i say it it it, going from needing work so almost saying yes to anything and and taking any fee that means that you can just about pay your bills and what you want for the month to then having to go okay right now this is my life now i want to start to earn the money that i think i deserve and the money that gives me the lifestyle that i'd like as well the article that i am specifically talking about on forbes is called hit the freelance rate plateau here are five ways to charge more by abdullahi Mohammed. and i just also want to say that i don't really read forbes i sometimes think it's a bit too um like hustle if that makes sense for me i i kind of like a bit more of a slower approach to freelancing I just came across this article and I thought it was well written and the points are actually good talking points. So that's why I chose it really. Anyway, the first point that he made was consider dumping the difficult clients. What do you think about that? Mm, Yes. Um, Dumping or I would call it more sacking. Um, But sacking a, a client is probably one of the hardest things to do. Not from... The actual physical saying to a client, sorry, I can't work with you anymore for X, Y, and Z reasons, whether they're the truth or um, excuses you come up with, but more the, it's the the self-doubt that that can eat away at you, that what if, it's that what if, it's, it's, what, have I made the right decision that, yes, that client might be difficult or low in pay or super demanding or whatever it might be, but for me i always think what if i make i've made a wrong decision what if i need that client again in 3 months time because my pipeline is 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 pretty much empty or what if that client is one massive deal away from becoming a company that you would want to work with or a brand you would want to work with or so i i suffer more less so than the the logistical side of sacking or dumping a client but more so the I guess would you call it FOMO the fear of yeah in case miss- you miss out on something great or that you need some or you need them because that's the other the flip of it you you agreed to that deal at one point or you agreed to that rate or those hours or this project at one point because that worked for you um so what if you need it again and that's that is one of my my biggest freelance anxieties is is you don't want to say no to anyone um because you're because there's that fear that it will come and bite you in the bum in in the future the main thing here as well is the difficult part for me i'm not very patient with people talking to me like rubbish you're probably way more patient than i am and i if someone starts being difficult to me i do find it really hard to gather the motivation every day to work for someone who is not appreciative of what I'm doing. And I've heard a lot of people refer to this, a lot of older people will refer to this as being a snowflake and expecting to get everything that you want all of the time. But I also think that a part of it is knowing your self-worth and valuing your experience and not no one needs to speak to anyone like rubbish i just don't think that there's ever a reason for it i know frustrations can be high in business sometimes but for me i think if you've got a client who is consistently talking to you in a way that is disrespectful you've got you really have to consider whether it's worth it or not and there are as you mentioned so many things that that will come into play but ultimately if you're waking up every morning and you're dreading working with that particular client then in my opinion that's that's that for me yeah i had to i had a um a a situation quite recently where um obviously i won't name any names because that's not fair but this client of mine they 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 almost over managed a project um and they weren't sure on but i think it was compensating for their uncertainty of what they were trying to deliver as well um and by over managing the projects they uh, the amount of conference calls and meetings i had to sort of partake in 
before we'd even produced anything just to get an understanding of what they were looking for was ridiculous so in the end I I had to make a decision whether the money was worth the stress and the the they they weren't difficult is a is a perhaps a harsh word because they weren't difficult um but needy yeah it was more like a I was I was worried that I wouldn't be able to produce my best work and therefore that affects my my reputation because they weren't sure of what they needed um so I thought that that would then reflect badly on me so I went through this dilemma in my head for probably two or three weeks on what do I do yes the money was quite good and it would be nice something leading up to Christmas but was it worth the amount of um attention that I had to give and the amount of sort of processing power that I was giving up every single day for this work so I eventually decided no it wasn't but then it it was then right okay how do I transition away from this and how do I like we said earlier sack or dump the client um and I wasn't so worried about having the conversation but I decided for both of our sakes it would be best to try and convince them that they didn't need me anymore and that they needed so I, I'll try to make them make that decision which I thought would be much more natural um, and it would give us both an out that would almost save face from both parties um, so I, I, I gave them I gave them what I thought I what I told them I thought they needed um, which wasn't someone like myself it was a different resource and eventually we did decide that that was the right thing and we we stopped working we cancelled what we were doing and and I think that was the right decision. And I, uh, throughout that process, I was thinking, what if, what if, what if, what if I'm making the wrong decision? What if I need that, that project? Or what if I need that, that money? But, um, but the amount of time that that freed up for me to then go and focus on better things for me, that, that project might've worked for someone else and that's how they want to run it. But for me, it wasn't how I wanted to, to be involved. So that freedom, gave me a good um it, it, i think that was the right decision in the end to, to to get out of that deal and get out of that but yeah i i think that was quite a nice way of of being able to sack them was to sort of convince them of alternatives and to convince them of what they thought they would be better for the project and for them um which which worked out for both of us in the end I also, I, I will move on to the next point quickly, but I just wanted to add that I think if you have an overwhelming feeling that something isn't right or just something keeps niggling at you and you think, mm, I just don't know if this is the right fit for me. I don't know if this client is going to work. This client's been really difficult. It's bothering me. I, I think go with your gut and your gut is always right. Yeah, but that comes with confidence because maybe when you're starting your journey... You don't have the confidence to, to back yourself. You don't have that confidence to go, right, okay, yes, I am making the right decision. And yes, my time is better spent, whether that's winning new work or or being brilliant on a different project with a different client. But it, it getting that level of confidence is difficult. And that's if you could bottle that, you'd be a sort of a millionaire to be able to, to give people that, that ability to to be able to step away from situations should they feel like their gut is telling them to do so. Okay, the second point on here is change from per hour to per project as a fee. I I have, I guess, uh, I don't mind either. I think per hour, you've got that whole connotation of things like people per hour where you just, people will just undercut you and charge absolutely nothing and also do a terrible job i mean i don't have a great opinion of people per hour at all um and i think per project certainly makes sense for perhaps what you do james but not necessarily what i do i think per day is the sweet spot in my opinion what what, would, what do you think? yeah um so i i, I flip between when i quote some work i do flip between uh, yeah, I very rarely do an hourly rate um, because not a lot of what I can do or not a lot of what I want to do 
can be done in less than say half a day if 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 a client wants a logo in an hour then like you say they they go to people per hour and get someone that's willing to do that for ten dollars that's that's not the client i'm looking for i also have a quote which i know you love and i think this perfectly sums up what you just said if I do a job in 30 minutes, it's because I spent 10 years learning how to do it in 30 minutes. You owe me for the years, not the minutes. Yeah. yeah. And I think what I can do in an hour and what you can do in an hour is we can do that because we've spent the last 10 years building up to this point. Someone else might be able to do more in an hour. A lot of people will be able to do less. So charging by hour is, I think, slightly unfair, especially if you've got a, a large amount of experience. I, I understand you can put your prices up per hour, but you just never know where the scope of project is going to go. So I try to veer, it, it, for copywriting and for journalism, I try to veer away from per hour. Per project, again, it's really hard to tell how long something is gonna take, especially as a copywriter. You don't know until you get into the research and the nitty gritty of it, how long things are gonna take. So per day, in my opinion, kind of covers all people. Yeah, just just going back to the hourly rate. Um, again, even if you are doing a small project, the the time spent getting yourself up to speed with the brief, doing the actual work, and then sending it over the revisions, etc. That that very rarely fits into one or two hours worth of work. So that's where, I, like I say, not a lot of what I can bill for is less than half a day. It generally it's it's at least a day's worth of work, but if I do have to half day, then that's probably my lowest limit. The only time I would charge by the hour is if it was um, a minor change or update to something I've done previously. So it's not, I'm not having to familiarize myself with the project because I did the project, whether that's a year, two years, three years ago, um, and they just want something changed or updated or added to, that's where I might charge by the hour. Um, because that is genuinely something that I could do in an hour. But what I tend to find is even if you quote by a project fee, the client tends to want a breakdown anyway. So then you've got to break that down, whether that's you break that down into deliverables um, within the project or you break down, which generally then loops back around into days. So milestone one might take you four days. So therefore you use day rate times four milestone two is maybe one day so it's a day and then total project is the two milestone together um so i think days is the the fairest way from both parties because it's you 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 roughly know what your day rate is or what you'd like it to be um and then you work backwards how long might something take me and therefore that is the amount of money and time that you are going to quote for something um generally when i have quoted by the projects there's normally that caveat of oh can we see a breakdown of where that money is being spent or allocated so and then that comes back around to time because that is effectively what people are buying is time time and knowledge and the next point point number three is partnering up with other freelancers which is something that we have both got a lot of experience in because we're both part of a collective of freelancers called Hoxby Collective. Um, for me, it has been invaluable to have other people with similar skills to me. I think a lot of a lot of freelancing can sometimes be quite lonely. I'm quite a homebody, so it's not such an issue for me. But I do like to be able to speak to other people who are in similar situations as me, and also working with people who are doing. A similar thing to what we're both doing I know I know we're both part of Hoxby and you see a huge value in partnering up with people because quite often I know for you when you're overloaded with work you you can sort of see if you can outsource some of that so is that what you mean by partnering because that how can I charge more by partnering with someone yeah well on this Forbes article it says when when you're overloaded with work, you can give some of the projects to a free a freelance partner, which also means that you can take on more work. And equally, if that partner is overloaded, you can take some projects off of 
his or her hands? Yeah, um, obviously it's a it's a question of scalability, and that's that's probably one of the biggest challenges. And we'll probably will have we could talk for hours on scalability, but that is probably the the one of the biggest fights that we all have as freelancers is how do you how do you earn more money in the amount of time that you have available to work because we only have two hands and one set of eyes and we can only use one computer at a time etc so that is certainly for me it's it's a great problem to have and it's a problem that you won't always have throughout your your career and it's but when you have too much work like what do you do with too much work and how do you you don't want to lose it no you don't want to lose it and you want to keep getting too much work but then you you quickly slip into having some form of agency whether that is a traditional agency or if it is uh more of a like a collective more like a collective like Coxby. Like like um but then that comes with scalability um say issues but hurdles that you've got to jump um because you you might you might have one resource that you out that you outsource some work to then you've got another then you've got another and all of a sudden you've got 10 people that you're feeding work to all of a sudden yes you might be doing great financially and time wise because you're not actually having to do the deliverable works but all of a sudden you've got 10 bodies to to manage and look after and deal with problems from a an admin point of view a finance point of view an hr point of view so you've 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 crept into a world that you perhaps didn't want to get into an hr for me is so hard managing people is something that really detracts from work and which is that's what i really like about self-employment so moving back into that for me specifically wouldn't be the right fit moving on to the next point point four it's stay abreast of the marketplace find out what is the low and high end pricing for your work this is quite a difficult one and i I guess this article is more american based but in the uk we're quite conservative with talking about money it's probably the most taboo conversation topic out of anything absolutely and and actually i i mean i don't want this podcast to be like that i want to be able to offer people advice on how much they should be charging because when i started freelancing i had absolutely no idea and i went on to facebook groups which have been so helpful for me just freelance facebook groups and just outright said i'm doing an i'm writing an article a thousand words please tell me how much i should charge because i have no idea can you remember what you charged for your I when I when I started out I I really did not charge enough I don't think I would probably do maybe I remember my first ever client I charged 600 pounds a month for and I pretty much worked full time on that client and I thought it was great because 600 pound a month of regular work was really good but I really worked for that money yeah. Now I think that we're in a region and, and, and being part of Hoxby as well is uh, I have been able to learn quite a lot about what what is the right thing to charge because I've seen people talk about it and people are more open, which is great. I mean, having being open about money in freelancing and just generally being open about money, I think is a really good thing. It makes people feel not so alienated by their profession not like they they don't know whether they're completely undercharging and their clients are laughing behind their backs because they're getting a, a great deal um so for me i've always i always think it's really good to be open um at the point that i am at in my career at the moment working well i've been working as a freelancer now for 10 years and i charge anywhere between say 300 and 400 pound a day and that is where I'm at and I'm happy like I'm I'm happy with that I guess that transparency is there to see with freelancers because we all have our own personal websites and portfolios and brand books or whatever it might be that that we send quotes to people which probably get circulated within companies as well and so you I think I, I, I often think this that 
you've got small sort of 10 to 15 um, people, companies that you're working with. You might send a quote to the CEO or the finance director, but he's probably shared that with the project lead, who's probably shared that with um, a couple of the other people that are within the project to let them know what their what their budget is for the project. And all of a sudden, your quote has has had eyes on it that you probably didn't think. And then you have to walk into that office the next day, and people can write, okay, I know that he or she charges, like you say, three four hundred pound a day. So let's do the maths and work out what they earn a month, a year. So it is that we can't hide behind it as as much as 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 other people. And people do put it on their websites as well. What their their rate cards are, what their hourly rate is, their daily rate, or or their monthly retainer fee. Um, I I really I have I'm in two minds about putting it on your website, and only because. For certain jobs, I would take less money because I love them. Like there are certain journalism jobs that I just love. I mean, writing one-off articles for some of the publications that I've worked with before, I'm nowhere near my day rate, but I love it and I don't care because I'm doing work that I truly enjoy in my core. So having a rate card on your website potentially could put someone off, but you might if you spoke to that person and got to know them and and realized that it would be a really great fit you might be willing to drop that rate mm. so i think remaining flexible is a really is a really important part of freelancing as well yeah i've i've never liked the whole package deals from a from either a creative company or an individual like i don't like when you see on a website like we can build you we'll build you a website for 1500 quid cuz it's and that includes 10 pages and 500 words of copy like I, I don't like that style and businesses get so sucked into that though yeah and it, it's a way of selling and I get that and it's a way that's successful for certain people and it and it's that's that's how they want to do it fine but that's I I much rather that more bespoke quote and then it, you can add a bit more value and you can add a bit more expertise and you go oh have you thought about x or have you thought about y or oh no you don't i don't think you need that in phase one and that could be moved into phase two um and i guess that that come again it comes down to confidence experience and having worked on similar projects you you take learnings from a previous project and you take it into the new one and you might start by giving um sort of those little nuggets of advice before you've even worked with the client or before you've even won the work. But again, I think that just shows you're adding value and you're adding, um, you're, you're, you're more than just a contractor. Yeah, I agree. The final point is expand your repertoire. If you're focusing on one specific part of your career let's let's just use myself as an example as a copywriter this article is suggesting that perhaps i could branch out into other parts so i could do things like social media marketing content marketing um that kind of thing just basically branching out and and going into other parts of the creative world that are perhaps in your remit but maybe not the main core thing that you do um so for me this is quite a big no-no and something that I have actively had to stop myself from doing over the last two years because I got to a point where I'd just gone so far away from what I actually wanted to do with my life. Um, I started, I, I, I was a journalist and copywriter and I went further and further into PR and social media marketing, which are two things that, to be honest with you, I don't even like. Um, and it has taken me a really long time to pull that back and get back to where I need to be. And probably this year is maybe the first year in my entire career where I've been doing work that I really love. So this, for, for me personally, and you may, may well disagree, this piece of advice is not actually very good because I think that if you are an expert in your field, you can ultimately charge more. Yeah, the um, the whole argument of uh, Jack of all trades, master of none, is again it's a battle that you have to 
you have to go through but I think it's important that you go through that and I I sit on the fence with this a little bit because yes I understand having a specialism and you become the best and the the, the most coveted in your field therefore you become a thought leader as well as you can start to demand those um, those higher fees and those higher project demands but I think that that can make you jaded very quickly um, and if you're in a if you're in an area you're not enjoying or you're not loving um, not necessarily because I think it's for example as a copywriter I guess it's it's more a specialism because you although you're a copywriter you do lots of different types of copy writing so you do whether that is journalism or corporate copywriting or social media blogs or something like that you are you're you're doing different styles which yeah. might keep it interesting whereas as a so I I kind of tried this or did this um because everyone wants to put you in a a pigeonhole what are you what do you do so I got bored of telling people I was a graphic designer because that again people don't really understand what that means oh you create logos well yes but I don't just sit at home creating logos all day um so I I tried to become sort of a specialist in one area in UX and UI design um those that sort of understand that might say that you can't be a, an expert in both because they are sort of individual fields but um, that's a completely different topic for now <laughs> but I did try that and it yes it came with success because if anyone had a UI or a UX project then I, I ranked well on, on Google so my SEO was good my social media was, was, was good for that topic um, and my portfolio looked good because it was geared around that so Yes, it worked, but I quickly became bored of just doing one type of project because, yes, you can design different websites or you can design different apps or you can design different platforms, but it it it, it generally you, you stick into trends, you stick into sort of principles and, and things that you know that look good and work well um, and that, that customer journey. So I I need to be able to diversify my portfolio in order to keep myself interested at work and keep myself up to date and current with um, with like I say trends and new software or new things that are coming out so and I think a lot of designers do that because a lot of designers are also photographers or they are so also videographers or animators or editors or, or, or podcast producers or whatever it might be. Maybe it's then specific to you as a person so I just for an example when I was doing PR work and social media work I dreaded that work whereas when I got the opportunity to do journalism primarily I was so happy and I enjoyed it and I loved those days and that hasn't changed for me so I will always now look for journalism over anything else because that's my favourite that's what I trained to do um, but maybe that's just me as a person rather than that being an overarching theme of freelancing perhaps it just depends whether if you're somebody who gets bored easily then great I mean you can expand your repertoire as much as you want and yeah you will definitely benefit from more work and if you enjoy it then amazing I think I think bringing it back around to the finances of it though the 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 best way to be able to charge more money is to become a specialist in one area because you do quickly have a very sort of deep portfolio you your knowledge becomes very verse and you've you've worked with lots of different projects so I think if finances are what motivate you then stick to one area become brilliant at it become so good that they can't say no basically and that's a that's a quote I don't know who said that but be so be so great they can't say no Gary yeah um <laughs> But then if you if you want the potential to earn, uh, win more work and more, lots of different work and work with lots of different clients and potentially do 
more exciting projects, then I do think that portfolio diversification is um, is important, and it's it reduces the risk as well. Um, although creativity is is the least is the least what do they call it? I think no, it's the most future proofed career because they don't reckon that AI or or automation will take over creativity um, in the sense that it might take over some other careers or jobs so but I do think diversifying yourself reduces your risk because if a particular skill set becomes redundant or not needed you've always got something to fall back then you've got another skill set to to fall back on but like we said like I said financially if if you realize that you for example absolutely love photography um but you haven't ever done any corporate work with with your camera then you might have to charge less because you're almost starting as a junior um again you you can't so again it comes back to rates you might have one rate for your core service but you might have different rates for things that you perhaps enjoy or want to get better at or your your experience levels are much lower so you feel personally that you can't justify the same fees as what you can justify your core skill so it depends if you're looking purely financial which i know this is what we're talking about and how to charge more money um or you're looking to sort of do a lot of different things but you might have to charge different rates for different things but then there's more opportunities the more that you can do the more opportunities are open so i get where the 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 forbes article is coming from interesting okay well that's our five talking points i guess i quite enjoyed that yeah it was all right hope i didn't ramble for too long no we can just cut out the rambling if you ramble too much (laughs) (laughs) um now the other thing that we have is just quick fire at the end of every podcast that we do we'll just do a quick fire um things that we've been enjoying in the week just so that if there is say a particular article that i've i've read and and liked or if james has bought some sort of gadget that he is particularly keen to talk about we're just going to do a really quick fire is this work related or general life kind of freelancer related i mean if it's just something that no freelancer is going to find helpful then it's kind of pointless but you know it doesn't have to be fully work related my book recommendation is not work related Okay. Actually, it's not a book recommendation. It's my book, Avoid. But okay. So the first one is Watch. Have you watched anything this week that you want to share? Not that I can think of. We have been binge watching um, David Dobrik on YouTube, which a very very deep hole of David Dobrik, which I don't think really adds any value to anyone's work life, uh, because he's basically those that don't know david dobrik he's a 20 something i think he's like 23 maybe millionaire that what he's done for the last five years is film him and his mates be stupid teenagers getting drunk getting into trouble just generally messing around but for whatever reason it's super addictive beyond addictive and hilarious but no, I don't think that really benefits you from a work point of view. Maybe if you're a, an 18-year-old freelancer that doesn't know which direction to go down, then maybe that YouTube life is for you. And David Dobrik could be a an inspiration. The next quickfire topic is buy. Is there anything that you've bought this week that you'd like to share? Can it be things that I would like to buy? Because it's pre-Christmas, so I'm trying not to buy yes. anything. Yes. The new AirPods, the AirPod Pros. I am desperate for them. Now, what is the actual difference? And I'm sure you'll be able to tell me this between the old ones and the new ones. I think it. (laughs) The the noise cancellation, but that's not huge. Well, that's not the selling point for me. My my AirPods are. I absolutely love my AirPods at the moment. They. But you can't hear anything on the tube with your AirPods. No, I know. But they're not. That's not the prime reason that I love my AirPods. I love my AirPods for making phone calls, and working from home or remotely, you have to speak on phone calls or video calls a lot. So, 
I probably have my AirPods in for maybe two or three hours in a day whilst I'm talking or whatever it might be. And the battery life on the my generation one ones are is horrendous now. So I love mine. Mine are what mine gen gen two. two. Yeah. Um so that is something I would like to buy. Or maybe, maybe Father Christmas maybe will Father bring them Christmas for you. Bring them for me. My one is just a quick uh, brand recommendation. I'm I'm gonna try as much as possible to add independent brands into here because I'm quite a big advocate for independent brands. You kind of have to be as you know, a self-employed person. I've discovered the Botanical Candle Company this week. And if you're looking for any presents, then I'd really recommend it. I've just made an, a huge bulk order of Christmas presents from there because it's a really cool brand. From a, yeah, from a creative branding point of view, it's beautiful. Lovely branding and lovely packaging. Yeah. So you, you go check them out. You all appreciate that. Uh, book or I'm gonna say book or podcast because you don't read, so there's no point in me saying there's no point in me saying book for you. Correct. Um, it didn't take me long to to have a bit of self discovery that reading isn't for me. Um, it's just not what I enjoy to do in my spare time or my which, downtime. Which is quite literally the opposite of me because I do for Yahoo a monthly best book releases i read so much it is ridiculous and you are the complete opposite i love the stories and um, kind of what reading is but i don't like the physical act of reading so i listen to audiobooks which i i absolutely love but are you, they, are you still reading harry potter uh listening listen to yeah still listen to harry potter but let's give some a podcast appreciation considering this is our podcast number one um so I've, I've, I bang the drum about this podcast to everyone that wants to hear it, but the TED Radio Hour... With is, Guy Raz. With Guy Raz. Is, I think it's absolutely brilliant because they they dive into topics that not only fascinate him, but educational as well. And I, uh, the, the way that it's just put together, it's very it's, it's an hour and it's, it's the best of TED Talks. So they, obviously they have a great library of of speakers and and people that have been on the on 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 their stages but you can just learn so much from it and it's but it doesn't feel like learning um it's one of those sort of like thought provoking podcasts that isn't too taxing and isn't too biased or political or or trying to push an agenda in any sort of way it's just here's a topic let's discuss it for an hour and so I'd, i'd fully recommend the ted radio hour to anyone that wants to listen to a podcast cool uh and my book recommendation now i haven't finished this yet so i'm not going to give like a full review but i will be finished it by next week so i'll sort of tell you for sure then but i am reading how to be a grown-up by daisy buchanan and it is amazing for if you're around 30 years old and you know kind of specifically if you're a freelancer i think it's a really really good book I I can't fault it it is my life everything in it just resounds with me so much so yeah go and give that a read and then final quick fire round self-care I'm just going to kick this one off because I don't know if you're going to have anything or not my thing that I have been doing lately is when I get ready in the morning I've been listening to an audiobook instead of sort of thinking about the day and not being in the moment i think i have got this huge tendency to get ready for the day and almost get into a blind panic about how much i've got to do before i've even started doing it and listening to an audiobook has really helped me to rein that in because you have to you have you're listening to the audiobook and you don't have a chance to think and as an overthinker, I would really recommend this. It's just a little self-care tip for the mornings. Interesting. I'm a little bit of a flip to that. And um, I have tried to make sure that I have a little bit of separation between finishing my day of work and then s- settling in for the evening, whether that's watching television or doing something else whether that's work related or not 
even if we're sat watching TV and both got our laptops and we're doing admin or whatever it might be, but making sure that whether that's just an hour of complete no work zone just before or during dinner um, and make sure there is a very defined chill out window. It's almost like I have a, noticed you've been doing that. Actually. It's like a recharge hour where you stop work. Before I would, so our office, our home office is now in our, what was our garage, which is 10 yards from our house. So we actually physically have to leave the house and go back in the house. But what I was doing previously was working until we ate, coming in, eating, and then opening my laptop and still working so I didn't ever have and then getting ready for bed and going straight to sleep so I didn't actually have like a a shut off period and I think that was affecting my productivity as well as my physical health um so I've I've made a conscious effort it's normally between sort of half past five and quarter past six ish where between those times I, I I don't check slack I don't check my emails I don't check my phone or whatever it might be and just make a very conscious effort to have whatever that might be just do something different for 45 minutes an hour that isn't work good idea i like it and that's it right that concludes our first podcast um i hope you've liked it i hope we didn't ramble too much and i I think that there was some good information in there hope so Bear with us. We'll get better if it, if there wasn't. Yeah, don't give up on us. Not yet. <laughs> um, come back next week, please. Uh, if you do enjoy this, then please do review. Um, I know this is quite a thing that everyone says in their podcast, but it really is important and it pushes you up the, the charts. It helps other people find our podcast. So if you have enjoyed it, please give us some five-star ratings. We some, really yes. appreciate it. And share the share the podcast as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal something from a pop, popular sports podcast, but they call Pass the Pod, and so oh, like I'm sure from a trademark and copyright point of view, they might have that down. But Pass the Pod, yeah, just share it with someone. Share, share Make yeah, make make someone else's week by just sharing. <laughs> I really hope we're not gonna make someone's week by oh, giving you know, maybe maybe. And um, yeah, feel free to message us or comment or or whatever get in touch in any sort of means possible and if you've got any ideas or thoughts or comments on anything we've talked about um, then we're more than happy to elaborate or give our opinions if you've got a question on anything so please do reach out to us on social media via email our websites or whatever it might be Um, the days of 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 our contact information being private are well and truly over okay well thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week we decided this is going to be a weekly podcast is it yeah well we have now oh that's us committing (laughs) to it we'll see you next week then Bye. bye thanks for listening to Outsourced 